What happens at the end? Surely there will be an end. So what happens? Of all the issues you will address in your life, what happens at the end will eclipse them all. You and I will surely arrive at the departure gate. So now what? The scriptures instruct us to number our days, Psalms 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I have numbered mine. If I live to the average 74 years of the American male life expectancy, I have about 1,095 days to go. That's the number of seconds in 18 minutes. If you are a 28-year-old female, and reach the average female life expectancy of 78 years, you have 18,250 days remaining. That's the number of seconds in 304 minutes or the number of minutes in around five hours. Doesn't seem so long, does it? It's not. It's true that time is fleeting. In Revelation 10:6, the Bible speaks of the end of time itself in regard to the redeemed. No more time, only eternal life in Christ Jesus. One scientist quipped, If you add a billion years to eternity, it gets no longer. And if you subtract a billion years, eternity gets no shorter. Soon for the bloodbot, time will no longer have relevance, but right now, it matters big time. So what really happens at the end of our days? Hebrews 9.27, And it is appointed unto men once to die... But after this, the judgment of the born again, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10 states, Therefore we are always confident knowing that, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he, that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. But for those who have rejected Christ, Revelation twenty eleven fifteen reveals this stark future. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We choose what happens to us at the end, and the choosing takes place now. Those who have been born again, born an actual second time, this time of the Spirit of God, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and enter into eternal life. Consider 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as, as, excuse me, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But those who reject Christ are cast into the lake of fire and suffer for all eternity. The contrast could not be more stark. Have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins? Will today be the day you surrender your life unto Christ? 
you will decide today how it ends. Make your move for Christ today and watch as all your sin and shame is washed away and all of Satan's bondage is broken. Do it now. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Job chapter 12, 7 through 10. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall teach thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, Psalms 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Man said, The creator of all that you see is actually a product of man's theory of evolution. Time and chance takes over after a big explosion of basically nothing, and from that big bang, the universe and the building blocks of life emerge. It's just that simple. It's the ultimate free lunch. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature article 929 that will once again contend for the faith. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the blood-bought and as ammunition in the battle for the souls of men. Every Thursday eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. Peace and grace be multiplied unto you. The theory of evolution popularized by Charles Darwin in 1859 in his book, The Origin of Species, has replaced the God of creation in the hearts of multiple millions and rules soundly in the camp of the carnal academics. The underlying reason it has gained such traction in the hearts of the fallen sons and daughters of Adam is revealed by Jesus Christ in John 3:19 and 20. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. This truth will become obvious as this feature moves along. Many would suppose that this theory is embraced because of all of the scientific facts that support evolution. But in reality, there are no facts, no missing links, and no compelling rationale. Grant R. Jeffrey, a frequently quoted author on God Said, Man Said, wrote a book titled Creation. Multiple excerpts have been lifted for your consideration. God Said, Man Said has published several features on what science knows as the anthropic principle, which says that for some strange reason, Everything on this earth and within its universe seems to be designed for the benefit of mankind. God describes this concept in Isaiah 45:18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Dr. Jeffrey writes, Professor Lawrence Henderson of Harvard University acknowledged that scientific evidence 
confirms that our solar system was endowed with unique characteristics that prepared it to be a habitable environment for living organisms, including, including excuse me, human life. The great difficulty appears to be that there is here no possibility of interaction. In our solar system, at least, the fitness of the environment far precedes the existence of the living organisms. In other words, there is no rationale, credible materialistic explanation for the fact that our solar system and Earth itself are uniquely fitted to accommodate human life unless God created all of this universe according to his divine purpose as the scriptures declare. The earth hath he given to the children of men, Psalms 115, verse 16. A NASA astronomer, John O'Keefe, wrote about the remarkable nature of the universe. We are by astronomical standards a pampered, cosseted, cherished group of creatures. If the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicate the universe was created for man to live in. Significantly, Sir Fred Hoyle wrote that the idea of an unplanned, accidental so-called Big Bang explosion producing order is nonsense. What he is saying is that explosions produce disorder. However, creation produced the most precise and complex development of a universe of astonishingly intricate designs that our scientists are only now discovering. The odds against our universe, our Earth, and humanity itself occurring as a result of a chance explosion without a supernatural designer are zero, end quote. Possibly the world's most renowned scientist was Albert Einstein. Many are shocked to know that he was not an atheist. From the book Creation. After Dr. Albert Einstein had personally verified through Sir Edwin Hubble's enormous 100-inch wide telescope at Mount Wilson that the galaxies were indeed expanding away from us at tremendous velocities, he realized that the universe must logically have had a definite beginning at some point in the distant past. Einstein later acknowledged in his writing that the universe definitely had a beginning, Professor Einstein later wrote that he wanted to know how God created the world. I am not interested in this or that phenomenon, in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. Astronomer and agnostic Dr. Robert Jastrow reluctantly acknowledged that compelling new scientific evidence provides overwhelming proof that our universe was purposefully created by a super-intelligent designer to allow humans to exist. Professor Jastrow writes, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Professor Frank Tipler, mathematician and physicist, struggled with the profound conflict that existed between the atheistic naturalistic assumptions that he had accepted all his life and the contradictory evidence revealed by numerous new discoveries that pointed toward the conclusion that the universe was created by a supernatural intelligent designer. Dr. Tipler wrote in his book, The Physics of Immortality, when I began my career as a cosmologist some 20 years ago, I was a convinced atheist. 
I never in my wildest dreams imagined that one day I would be writing a book purporting to show that the central claims of Judeo-Christian theology are in fact true, that these claims are straightforward deductions of the laws of physics as we now understand them. I have been forced into the conclusions by the inexorable logic of my own special branch of physics, end of quotes. Everywhere we look, we see a designer. Job 12.8 reads, Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. Again, Grant Jeffrey. An English theologian, William Paley, was the first person in recent centuries who articulated the argument from design in his 1817 book, Natural Theology, to support the Scripture's claim that God purposely designed the universe to be inhabited by humanity. In the early 1800s, he declared, There cannot be design without a designer. English theologian William Paley argued that a man who discovered a watch while walking in the forest would be forced by logic and common sense to acknowledge that the complexity, the materials, and the obvious purposeful and intricate design of the watch, uh, capable of measuring precise passage of time, led to the logical conclusion that there must be an intelligent, purposeful watchmaker who originally designed and manufactured such an intricate and complicated device involving complex complex gears and springs. Since a complex timepiece such as a watch was one of the most complicated uh, manufactured devices existing during his lifetime, Paley chose this example to demonstrate his argument. He wrote, Contrivance must have a contriver, design a designer, end of quote. Time and chance is the mantra of evolution, but serious evolutionists are distancing themselves from this particular evolutionary underpinning from the book Creation. Professor Chandra Wickramsinghe, an eminent British scientist, describes the absolute impossibility that the prebiotic soup ever formed in the oceans and atmosphere of Earth by chance to create the possibility of life being spontaneously generated over millions of years. Professor Wickram Singhi concluded, One of the earliest questions that was raised in connection with the primordial soup was deciding whether at any early stage in the Earth's history, if there was a situation when the Earth's atmosphere was not of its present character, that is, it was reducing without free oxygen rather than oxidizing. We looked at this rather carefully, and we decided that the Earth's atmosphere was never of the right character to form an organic soup. We published this in a book under the title of Life Cloud. Geochemists and geologists have now come around. They now go on to say that the primordial soup had to be imported from outside. There's no way it could have developed upon the earth. The organic soup itself is not such a marvelous thing. It is a prerequisite for any biological activity to start. That's certainly true. But it doesn't follow that if you have an organic soup, it could get life started. And when we looked at the probabilities of the assembly of organic materials into a living system, it turns out that the improbabilities are really horrendous, horrific in extent, and I concluded along with my colleagues that this could not have happened spontaneously on the earth. There's not enough time, there's not enough resources, and there's no way in which that could have happened on the earth, end of quote. Why would men believe such an outlandish hypothesis? Dr. Jeffrey weighs in. 
Howard C. Urey, a winner of the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, declared that many scientists now admit to the impossibility of evolution and that random mutations could never account for the remarkable biological diversity that characterizes life on Earth. However, he also admitted that evolution was generally accepted by modern scientists as an article of faith, as a kind of religious belief system rather than as a result of a logical analysis of scientific facts. In confirmation of the actual religious nature of many scientists' acceptance of evolution, Professor Urey said, All of us who study the origin of life find that the more we look into it, the more we feel it is too complex to have evolved anywhere. And yet we all believe as an article of faith that life evolved from dead matter on this planet. It is just that its complexity is so great that it is hard for us to imagine that it did. Another Nobel Prize winner, Ernst Chain, uh, wrote about the failure of Darwin's theory of evolution. To postulate that the development and survival of the fittest is entirely a consequence of chance mutation seems to me a hypothesis based on no evidence and irreconcilable with the facts. These classical evolutionary theories are a gross oversimplification of an immensely complex and intricate mass of facts, and it amazes me that they are swallowed so uncritically and readily and for such a long time by so many scientists without a murmur of protest. Professor L.T. Moore with the University of Cincinnati spoke of the faith in evolution when he acknowledged the conflict between personal belief and scientific evidence. Our faith in the doctrine of evolution depends upon our reluctance to accept the antagonistic doctrine of special creation. Professor Moore acknowledged the profound philosophical problem faced by scientists when they confronted the overwhelming problems now facing the theory of evolution. He says, The reasonable view was to believe in spontaneous generation, evolution, for the only alternative is to believe in a single primary act of supernatural creation. There is no third position. For this reason, many scientists a century ago chose to regard the belief in spontaneous generation as a philosophical necessity. Significantly, British astronomer Professor Fred Hoyle acknowledged that enormous problems existed with the theory of evolution. Hoyle actually admitted that the only reason the theory of evolution is still so widely accepted in the scientific community, despite the virtual lack of scientific evidence, is due to the need of atheistic people to deny the scientific evidence that God created the universe. End of quote. But what else drives the foolishness of evolution? Again, from the book Creation. One of the most influential writers who helped establish the theory of evolution as the almost universally accepted truth of modern Western society was Aldous Huxley. In an article entitled Confession of a Professed Atheist, Aldous Huxley was quoted as follows. I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning, consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneous liberation from a certain political and economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. End of quote. 
The book of Job directs us to ask the earth, and it will teach that a master designer, the creator God, made all that you see and all that you can't. Let's ask the hummingbird. Grant Jeffrey writes, The smallest bird in the world is the hummingbird, which is a marvel of aerodynamic engineering. Its small wings beat up to 80 strokes every single second. Although the hummingbird weighs only one-tenth of an ounce, its aerodynamic abilities to fly forward, backwards, sideways, and to hover in one spot for minutes is unrivaled. The tiny hummingbird's heart beats over a thousand times a minute, creating an awesome metabolic rate that requires virtually nonstop feeding to support its energy output. The nectar of flowers, which is mostly high-energy sugar, provides the primary food for hummingbirds as the bird draws over a dozen sips of nectar every second. In light of the fact that there is no other bird that has ever existed on Earth that remotely resembles the extraordinary aerodynamic system of the hummingbird, it is apparent that this tiny marvel of engineering provides compelling proof of God's intelligent design. Scientists have calculated that the tiny hummingbird will beat its wings more than two and a half million times during its 1,800-mile migration between Alaska and Hawaii. The enormous expenditure of energy as the bird flies up to 50 miles per day causes its internal temperature to rise as high as 143 degrees Fahrenheit. Hummingbirds actually slow down their metabolism and hibernate overnight in order to conserve energy. Some hummingbirds can fly as long as 36 hours without stopping for rest. No one who contemplates the extraordinary design of the hummingbird can honestly conclude that anything that is engineered with such extraordinary precision could have ever developed as a result of evolution's blind mutations. End of quote. The following short excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, Evolution is Dead, They Just Forgot to Bury the Corpse. Mindsets such as secular humanism or materialism that relegate miraculous biblical events to simple, non-supernatural input, evolution, atheism, paganism, doctrines of men and of devils, all have one defining foundational position in common, rebellion against it is written, the Word of God found in the majority text King James Bible. The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, and to impudently reject its directives is to be found a fool. The contrary position is to fear God and His Word. Psalms 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Dr. Colin Patterson sums up evolution's dilemma. Again from God Said, Man Said. Dr. Colin Patterson, Senior Paleontologist, British Museum of Natural History, London. The following quote was taken from a speech given by Dr. Patterson. Last year, I had a sudden realization. For over 20 years, I had thought I was working on evolution in some way. One morning, I woke up and something had happened in the night, and it struck me that I had been working on this stuff for 20 years, and there was not one thing I knew about it. That's quite a shock to learn that one can be so misled so long. Either there was something wrong with me, or there was something wrong with evolutionary theory. Naturally, I know there's nothing wrong with me. So the last few weeks, I've tried putting a simple question to various people and groups of people. Question is, 
Can you tell me anything you know about evolution? Any one thing, any one thing that is true. I tried that question on the geology staff at the Field Museum of Natural History, and the only answer I got was silence. I tried it on the members of the Evolutionary Morphology Seminar in the University of Chicago, a very prestigious body of evolutionists, and all I got there was silence for a long time, and eventually one person said, I do know one thing, it ought not to be taught in high school, end of quote. God's word is true and righteous altogether, a place to build a life that will last forever. The irony is palpable. You have these academics decrying creationists as naive and willing to believe an ancient book, and here they are, desperately clinging to evolution despite knowing they have no science to back it up. Who's easily led now? God said, Job 12, 7 through 10, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, and whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? God said, Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and a hallowed it. God said, Psalms 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Man said, The creator of all that you see is actually a product of man's theory of evolution. Time and chance takes over after a big explosion of basically nothing, and from that big bang, the universe and the building blocks of life emerge. It's just that simple. It's the ultimate free lunch. Now you have the record.